Is the latest wave of coups across the African continent a truly anti-colonial moment? Or another false dawn in Africa's long journey towards decolonization? Let's get into it. Spread the fire fam, welcome back to SMWX and today we're analyzing one of the most historic developments on the African continent. A wave of what some people are calling coups and other people are calling revolutions which are racing across the African continent, particularly in what's called the Sahel region. So in today's video we really want to focus on the extent to which this represents some kind of anti-colonial moment in Africa's history, or whether this is just another false dawn and false start in the journey towards true decolonization on the African continent. And today's video is going to be broken up into a number of sections. Firstly, we're going to look at the background. Which countries have experienced these coups when has it been happening, and just understand the significance of this moment. After that, we're going to look at the political history and the political factors which have given rise to this wave of changeovers in governments and the falling of regimes across Africa. Then we're going to look at some of the economic questions, questions particularly in the way that France which is the main country we're going to be look at, looking at in terms of colonial influence on the continent, the way that France has exerted, some say, a neo-colonial influence over the especially monetary but largely economic policies of many of the countries who are undergoing these transitions. And then finally, we're going to look at the question of security and the security-related causes of the fall of these many different governments. After that, we'll conclude with some qualifications and words of warning in terms of the analysis. So, coups across the Sahel in Africa. False dawn or anti-colonial revolution? Let's have a look. Okay, so which countries have experienced the fall of all of these regimes and let's have a look at what's going on because the geography of this is quite interesting. So since around 2020 there have been several African countries which have deposed their governments especially in what's called the Sahel region. So let's take a look at this. 2020 we had events in Mali. In 2021 we had a changeover and I'll talk in more detail about this changeover in Chad, as well as Guinea and Sudan. And then 2022, we have Burkina Faso, which both in January and September that year has massive governmental transitions and regime transitions led by the military. And then this year, 2023, as I speak, we've had who's in Niger, as well as Gabon. So as you can see from the map, there is massive upheaval, 
maybe unprecedented and historic upheaval going on in the African continent in a particular region that's called the Sahel region. This region is just south of the Sahara Desert, so south of North Africa, and stretches from the one side, which is West Africa, goes across into Central Africa, and moves all the way to that middle belt of the continent, even towards parts of uh, the ocean on the other side of Africa to the east. So why is it called the Sahel? Interesting fact. It stems from an Arabic word, Sahil, which is about uh, the shore of an ocean. So the Sahara Desert is figuratively seen as an ocean in this geographic des description, and the shoreline of the desert, i.e. ocean, is the Sahel, the Sahil. So everything that's just south of the desert of the Sahara in, in Africa is known as the Sahel. It's that belt that stretches, as I say, from roughly kind of just north of the, the center line of Africa, West Africa Central, all the way to, to the eastern part of that column of Africa. Now, what's interesting about that region of Africa and that part of Africa, it's very diverse, is that this is a place where French colonial power was the dominant logic, especially in the period of colonization, which reached its height around the early 20th and mid 20th centuries, but dates back all the way to the 17th century. So the Sahel is really a part of Africa, although there are some exceptions where French colonialism was the order of the day. And France still continues to exert a great deal of influence in this region of Africa. So what's going on? Why are all these former French colonies rising up to depose their governments, not just in anger against their governments, and that is something that's happening, but often using anti-colonial rhetoric towards France and wanting to evict France from its former colonies. Some people have gone so far as to compare this moment with the Arab Spring, which you may remember in the early part of the 2010s, when in North Africa there were various popular uprisings in Tunisia, in Libya, and of course in Egypt. And now, just north of that, we've had an interesting but also different wave of, in some ways, popular uprisings and protests, but in other ways, military coups, which have led to, as we speak, military governments taking over power in Africa, promising elections in the future, but we're in a transitional phase, and those promises, in many cases, remain to be seen. So, let's have a look at this quick clip, because uh, Professor... Munene of Kenya, who's an interesting African scholar, has gone so far as to describe this as a revolutionary moment. And this is an interesting point of context as we get into our next bit of conversation, where we'll look at what is the political cause of some of these coups in terms of France's role in Africa, and to what extent is this about a reaction against political neo-colonialism. Well, um, Zimbabwe has been um, a regular challenge 
the concept of democracy, the practice and the theory. And in part because Zimbabwe gets a lot of attention, in part because of its transition from the Smith regime to now independent Zimbabwe. And for a long time it had that problem that it could talk about the friction with the colonial master, Britain, that tried to continue uh, controlling events in Zimbabwe by other means. And um, it became very clear what was going on. As of now, yes, there have been accusations and there are uh, points of truth that the state has not been very kind or very nice to its opponents. But I think the election this time in Zimbabwe is not so much whether Ngagwa wins or whether Chamisa wins. We have um, a revolution taking place. Uh, Chamisa has already made a mark, whichever way it goes. He is a child of post uh, Smith uh, developments, um, being about 40 something years. He's almost half the age of his opponent. Uh, so you have a father and son competing. And the, uh, the excitement around Chamisa uh, is different from the way uh, Changirai used to appear. Uh, Changirai had a, a different image. But Chamisa seems to be uh, projecting and generating some excitement that sounds and seems fresh. Whether it's enough for him to win the election or to be declared the winner is another matter. But there is a new mood in Zimbabwe that may be seen to be similar to what's going on in other places uh, in the continent, whereby there is a challenge to the old generation, a generational challenge that um, the accusation being that the people who brought independence or the sometimes considered to be the saviors of their places uh, have uh, failed to deliver on the expectations and partly because the, the expectations are also different so it is a different ball game here we are seeing yes the credibility is always there uh, it will not be the first time and it is not going to be the last time that there will be questions of credibility here and there. Whether one believes them or not is not the issue. But the mood, the changes that are taking place are very noticeable. They, they penetrate and they cannot be ignored um, uh, one way or the other. So um, um, the issue of credibility is not a new one or lack of credibility is not a new one in Zimbabwe and many other countries. And sometimes the losers are very good at making noise about the credibility once they've lost. And they are very good at saying it was fair when they win. So we have uh, that kind of uh, right. uh, challenge that right. uh, occurs in many places. So we can't understand what's happening in the Sahel without understanding the political history of colonization in this region and the way it stretches 
all the way into the present moment right now. So, of course, this won't be a lecture on French colonial history in Africa, but just for you to appreciate the background, France, ultimately at the height of its colonization, had two colonial territories, which you'll be able to see. It was French West Africa, which is really in the western part of Africa, around about the center of that western part, all the way to the ocean. And if you're watching, you'll be able to see an image of that territory at its height. And you'll see that that includes some of the important players in the questions we're going to be discussing. And then secondly, there was a territory called French Equatorial Africa, and that was more in the center of Africa and included some of the other countries that we're going to be talking about today. So you'll see that there's not a perfect, but there's quite a significant overlap between French colonial occupation in these large French colonies and the countries today that are rising up, at least with anti-colonial rhetoric against French involvement in Africa. You can really think of the, the period of French colonial involvement in Africa along two dimensions, especially in the 20th century. Roughly the first half of that century is formal colonialism with France, uh, France seeking to actually exploit formal colonial territories. Then from the 1950s and into the 1960s on, we see the period of decolonization and formal independence in African states. But the thing about that independence is that it wasn't as independent as the word independence sounds, particularly France, even as opposed to some of the other colonial powers, was keen to maintain a very direct oversight relationship over its former colonies. There were other French colonies, by the way, in North Africa, in Madagascar, island territories, but uh, I'm focusing in on French West Africa and Equatorial Africa because that's largely where the coups are happening. Now, in those territories, even though France formally left, it still had a great deal of what some suggest is neo-colonial control over the at least economic life of those countries. And so what we're seeing now is a situation where people are rising up not against formal colonialism, but the continued control that France has continued to exert over those countries and their economies and their politics. Now, the situation is complicated by the fact that a series of African leaders that have been seen as puppet regimes in the worst case, or French aligned in the best case, these countries have seen a series of these leaders who have become distinctly unpopular in their regions because they have been seen as a buffer between the population and France and have ultimately secured French interests even while pretending to look after the interests of their populations. So let's take some examples of this. Ali Bongo, the leader of Gabon, who was just recently deposed in a coup. By the way, funny sidebar, have you seen the, the viral make noise video about Ali Bongo? So when, when the coup happened and he was placed under house arrest, he released this video saying, please, everybody make noise about the fact that this coup is happening and help me and help my family. 
and people turned that into a viral video, which we'll, we'll show you right now. I'm Ali Bongo Ondimba, president of Gabon. And I'm to send a message to all the friends that we have all over the world to tell them to make noise, to make noise. For the people here have arrested me and my family. My son is somewhere, my wife is, is in another place, and I'm at the residence. Right now, I'm at the residence and nothing happening, nothing is happening. I don't know what, what's going on. So I'm calling you to make noise to make noise, to make noise, really. So the thing about Ali Bongo was he was in power from the period 2009 to 2023. But before that, his father had been in power since 1967. So two generations of exactly the same patrilineal line had governed Gabon. So you can understand how the period after colonization, immediately into decolonization, which was supposed to be this freedom, ended up with these dictatorial leaders who had deep links to France, who just kept the country effectively as their own fiefdoms in many ways. We also had a similar situation in Niger, where there was also a coup, where uh, its president or leader, Tanja, had been in power for... 20 years until a democratic transition which preceded the coup occurred. Again, seen as someone who was close to France and who had protected French interests in the region. So in addition to the history of colonialism, neo-colonial control, we also have this problem of weak African dictators in the region who failed to meet the needs of their populations and at least were seen whether in truth or in perception, to have been agents of French influence in Africa over the last three or four decades. So that's the history into which these coups emerge. And let's turn our attention to another question which has been raised, which is the particular form of economic control which France has exerted over these territories, which has also been a long-standing question. Spread the fire, fam. This is just a quick reminder that if you'd like to buy one of my two books, The New Apartheid or Democracy and Delusion, which have both been bestsellers in South Africa, click the link below. If you live in South Africa, we can deliver it to your door. If you're outside of South Africa, you can get it on Kindle or on Amazon Audible. Okay, let's get back into it. Okay, so one of the interesting things about this area in Africa, which is somewhat different to other parts of Africa, is that there's a very direct form of economic control which France imposed on its former colonies. And this has to do with the currency of these economies. So what happens here? Well, if you're watching from South Africa, you know that we have a currency called the Rand. Right. This is ostensibly our own currency, even though it's open to global financial markets and it's affected by various fluctuations in those markets. Now, in former French colonies, there's something that's called the CFA franc. And the CFA stands for 
the African financial community. And it's broken into two different currencies, one for the West African bloc of countries, which kind of mirrors, but not exactly French West Africa. And then another currency, but the two are deeply linked for the Central African territories, which is kind of linked to the former French colony um, that, that we spoke about. So you can see that these two French colonies in West and Central Africa, even though France left, it determined monetary policy and currency very directly by instituting these currencies that are still in use today in both of those two places. Now, effectively, let's take a look and try to simplify what that means, right? Ultimately, think about your life in recent times, right? Interest rates and prices, right? So because of the war in Ukraine, prices have gone up like the price of food. So there's great inflation. So everything's more expensive pretty much all around the world over the last, over the last two years, although that's coming down. In a place like South Africa, our own central bank could decide how much to increase interest rates to try and affect prices by, right? But think about West Africa and Central Africa, where their currency is what's called pegged to the euro, and it used to be the French uh, franc before that. So the euro and, and eurozone countries have also gone through this period of, of dramatic inflation, right? And so them, the monetary policy in Europe has responded to that to try and set an interest rate environment, which addresses European prices. But that now also affects African economies, which really have nothing to do with those dynamics because their currency is pegged to the euro. So what did we see over the last few years? We saw massive inflation in these African economies, but they weren't able to control how they responded to those price rises. And, and life was already tough in those African countries before the price rises that came after COVID and after the Russia-Ukraine war, which spiked this inflation. So in a nutshell, these countries don't have control over the monetary levers of their economy in the same way that other countries that have mon monetary sovereignty do. And that became not only an economic problem, but a symbolic problem of the way that these countries had failed to overcome the history of colonialism, that they were still somehow tied to France. Another implication of this pegging of their currencies to the euro and effectively to France is that half of their foreign currency reserves have to be held in France. And the trade is that, well, we stabilize your currency and you never have to worry about hyperinflation like we've seen in places like Zimbabwe, for example. But in return for the stability you get and the, and the surety you get about the value of your currency, we get to keep half of your foreign reserves. And you can only draw them down for a certain period. And if you draw more than that, then you have to like pay France in order to get your own money. It's a crazy situation. Uh, it's a crazy relic. Now, all of that is somewhat true, but there have been some changes to this. So even French President Emmanuel Macron has suggested that this situation needs to be moderated. And he has made proposals about the way that these Western Central African economies are still linked to France and 
He's made proposals about how there should be greater monetary sovereignty. In actual fact, many of these countries have proposed a new currency called the ECO, which is similar to ECOWAS, um, the West African Economic Community. And in 2019, 2018, it looked like they were actually going to really make tremendous strides towards creating this new currency, which would de-link in many ways African economies from France and the Euro. But after infighting amongst these African economies, this project has ultimately stalled. So we're kind of back to the status quo. Now, other countries that weren't colonized by France, like Nigeria and Ghana, who are also in this region, said to some of the countries, you can't just run ahead and create a whole new currency with a whole new name without speaking to us first, because we need a wider West African currency. And so there has been infighting amongst African states who haven't been able to coordinate themselves towards what this new currency would look like, even though there's a window of political will within France to undertake at least some transition away from this relic of the economic colonial past. So that's another fascinating feature about what is happening in the Sahel in Africa. There's this economic link to France, which is more explicit than most other colonial links. And coup leaders have specifically mentioned the question of the CFA, Frank, and the way that it symbolizes colonialism to get popular and public support. Okay, let's move on to the security environment because that's the last piece of the puzzle we need to understand whether this is a truly anti-colonial moment. Okay, so the third piece of this puzzle that we need to understand in terms of the causes of popular anti-colonial sentiment in the Sahel is the security environment. Now, to understand that, we need to go back to the invasion of Libya, which happened uh, at the turn of the 2010s. Now, what happened there was that during the Arab Spring, and that's an interesting connection between that moment and this moment, Libya experienced a number of popular uprisings around the leadership of its then leader, Muammar Gaddafi, who was subsequently killed in the events that followed. But basically, to cut a long story short, there was a Western-backed intervention into Libya, which deposed Gaddafi, resulted in his, his death. And Libya proceeded to completely implode and fall apart after that. Now, France was, of course, intimately involved. This started with what's called a, a no-fly zone, where the airspace over Libya was... Um, effectively controlled by this concert of, of powers which involved the US, France, and, and the United Kingdom and various other players that they brought into coalition. The import of that is basically that the implosion of Libya, and we can talk about the, the Gaddafi regime and, and its, its, its excesses and problems at another time, but the implosion of Libya created a hotbed for Islamic militancy on the African continent, which rages on to this day because 
exactly who controls Libya has been unclear for more than a decade. And at the time, in the Middle East, there was all this Islamism and radical Islamism that was growing. And Libya became a base in the chaos that ensued following that, that ousting of uh, Gaddafi. So that this base of Islamic militancy began to spread into different parts of the, of the continent. And so in West and Central Africa, just to the south and the southwest and directly south of Libya, we started seeing the spread of radical splinter groups and Islamic insurgents causing havoc in, in this region of Africa, right? So just think about it. If you're watching from a South African perspective, you know what it's like to be confronted by violent crime and just what that does to a, a society. Now imagine that instead of just violent crime, you also have terrorism to deal with. So the bombs are going off in different places. People are being ab abducted for political reasons. This created over time an interesting situation in which France began more and more to intervene in these African countries that were experiencing this terrorism. Because of course, France and Europe and the wider Western world wanted to stop the spread of terrorism. So France re-intervened in Africa against these radical Islamic groups. Mali was a key example of one of these interventions around 2012, 2013, 2014. Now, after some initial successes with these interventions, the fact of the matter is that French military intervention just hasn't really been successful in uprooting the scourge of radical Islamic militancy in this area of Africa. So what started happening over time was that the populations in those countries were like, but you're not even helping us here, France. In fact, you're becoming more part of the problem because now we have terrorism and we have this like quasi-colonial occupation going on at the same time. And we want to get rid of both of those things. So people started turning their anger and attention to, number one, the governments that are failing to deal with the terrorism, even though they promise to keep people safe. These governments are too friendly with France and are allowing France in some cases to occupy. At the height of this occupation, France had 3,000 troops all across Africa. It has and had about 10 military bases in many different places in the Sahel, particularly. And so people ultimately started saying, we need to get France out and the Islamists out. And that security crisis is really what has created this crucible in which we've got these uprisings that are being channeled through military coups. So an appreciation of the security situation that has led to this moment, as well as the economic links between these countries and France, and the political history of colonization gives us a window into understanding some of the causes and at least the way that these coup leaders are using the rhetoric of anti-colonialism to build popular support for the coups that they are undertaking. Now, up to this point, I haven't really turned attention to the problems with military coups in Africa, because in general, it's often seen that anti-colonial moments are a positive thing.
But before we celebrate too wildly and too loudly, there are a number of warnings that need to be sounded, both about the process of military coups in Africa, about the intentions of coup leaders, and about the consequences of these coups that may present a false start rather than a truly anti-colonial revolution. So let's look at some of these qualifications. Right, so the first thing to say is that not all coups are created equal and not all coups result in progressive change. Sometimes they can and sometimes they can result in regressions that leave nations even worse off and destroy any dream of democracy. Now, we could do a whole deep dive into each of these different countries, but I think we can just categorize different kinds of coups that, that are going on. One way of categorizing things is a coup which actually preserves the status quo. So it's a change in the person who's leading, but it's not necessarily a change in the regime. And I would say that we've seen this in two of these places. One is, one is Chad, where there was... I mean, a coup is probably too, too big a word, but there's been a preservation of the status quo. After the end of one leader's tenure, his son, in a familiar pattern, took over. In Gabon, we've seen the same thing. So even though Ali Bongo has been deposed, the new interim structure still seems to be built around the wider Bongo family network. So there, what we've seen is a change in who's leading, but the logic of the regime remains the same. We might say a similar thing actually kind of happened in Zimbabwe, where we saw a change in the leader, but the party and the network around the leader was roughly the same. On the other hand, there are different kinds of coups which are actually an attempt to fundamentally reshape and reshake a country's political and constitutional direction. And there, I think Burkina Faso and Niger are particularly interesting because these really do seem like quite counter-hegemonic. In other words, um, new forms of power instituting types of coups. And there you've really seen a ramping up in anti-colonial rhetoric. You've seen... Um, people addressing the French embassy, addressing French military occupation in, in Africa, criticizing past leaders and saying that there needs to be a new moment of independence on the African continent. Even then, I still think it's a dangerous way to negotiate power transitions, to put all the power in military strong men and to hope that they will have the wisdom to create this transitional moment into a democracy. It could happen, but what could also happen is that that military leadership, even if it has the best intentions of stabilizing the country until a democracy is born, can itself become corrupted, can itself become used to the power, and can itself become what it was fighting against. And we've seen this in the history of coups in Africa, where about half of them were just unsuccessful in the first place and didn't consolidate themselves. The other half consolidated themselves, but even within that group, didn't necessarily uh, improve either the lives or the quality of democracy, let alone in those countries. So I think the celebrations at the moment are premature. 
I think all people in Africa should be watching with a cautious eye. It's one thing to support greater African independence, and that has been a journey that has that has unfolded for decades and decades, and greater African independence is, in my view, a good thing. But independence at what cost? And independence without a plan for how independence will improve democracy, improve economic prosperity, improve the basic living conditions of the people in these countries is actually no independence at all. So I think it's a little bit premature to just celebrate these, these uh, the falling of these regimes without knowing exactly what is going to come afterwards. And we saw this with the Arab Spring because people were celebrating for years and years saying that autocratic leadership in North Africa was over, a new moment of democracy and freedom and freedom of expression was here. And what we actually ultimately really saw was over time, those autocratic networks, especially in the military, um, were able to reconsolidate their power. And I think what will be interesting to watch now in Africa is whether the reconsolidation of power, even if it mutates, will continue, or whether this is a truly new moment on the African continent. Time will tell, but I hope this video has given you some insight into what's been happening. I think as people on the African continent, we need to start analyzing our own politics. And this has been an attempt to do that through SMWX. I'm by no means an expert in the complexity of all forms of African politics. So comment down below if you agree, disagree, want to add new insights, if you think there's something that needs to be brought to the fore that I haven't brought to the fore, and let's have an interesting conversation, a global conversation, an African conversation about exactly what is happening in Africa. Anti-colonial moment or false dawn? I think the jury's still out. Aye, aye.